Hey, welcome to the Engaged and Equip podcast. This is Nick Gibson, Senior Pastor of High Point Church. The Engaged and Equip podcast is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. You're going to be hearing from Matt Krieg, who is part of Caring Well Counseling. Matt focuses on um, porn and sexual addictions and people that he counsels. He's going to be talking a little bit about um, sexual addiction, how the church can minister to people with sexual addictions, and um, how to talk about some of these things in the local church in relationship to holiness and freedom and so on. So listen to Matt and hopefully this will either embolden you to get free of some stuff for you to change your attitude about the importance of some of these things or to help minister to friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with addictions and or trying to love people that have sexual addictions. Hey everybody, this is Nick Gibson. I am here with Vince Pieri, our kids pastor, and we're talking to Matt Krieg, um, who is part of Hole in My Heart Ministry, but he also has his own counseling practice. He and his wife Lori live in the in Michigan in the Grand Rapids area, and um, we have interviewed Lori for an episode, and we wanted to interview Matt for an episode. One of his areas of specialty is in helping men, especially with sexual addictions, and that's mainly what we're going to be talking about today. So Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm definitely delighted to to have the opportunity. That's okay, something maybe I like could... to talk about. Oh, great. Good. So um, give, give us the minute version of like what you do. Like you, you're okay. a counselor. Okay. Well, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a counselor. So, so people who come to me and say, Hey, I've been struggling or people who are related to someone who has been struggling, whether it's with pornography or marital infidelity, um, sexual addiction, um, really anything related to sexuality. Okay. Um, they, they come in and, and we first, we talk and look at what goals they, they want to achieve. Um, and then we, we look at it from a biblical standpoint, um, a historic sexual ethics so one man one woman for life um and we we try and you know no matter what they're going through base our treatment and how we walk through their own journey um on where god has has told us we should go and so are, um, are virtually all of your clients are virtually all your clients confessing christians then oh yeah yeah i mean given that my my counseling happens through through our ministry and so okay. most people who are non-christian are you know are going to go to a, a a more clinical um, mm-hmm. counseling scenario, oh. um, and a lot of non-Christians um, are, are not necessarily going to see pornography or you know sexual addiction as a problem until it really starts affecting you know job performance or seriously affecting right. their relationships. So. so in seminary, oftentimes people who are going the pastoral route are told, "Hey, don't call what you're doing counseling; call it biblical <laughs> advice, or at least." Yeah put a prefix like spiritual counseling on it. So when yes. you, when you minister to people, what, what parts spiritual advice, what part clinical counseling do you feel like you, you are in practice or is it just so intermixed that you couldn't possibly? Well, no, I, I have a, a very strong uh, demarcation line. If you live in the state of Michigan, I can give you a uh, clinical counseling hmm. uh, that is going to be biblically based, but it's also utilizing cognitive behavioral techniques, narrative therapy, um, really making sense of your story and, and how you got to the place where you are. Um, however, once once we cross a state line, if it's you know someone from Illinois or Indiana or heck all the way you know out of the country, you know we've had a few clients that seek help um, from out of the states, and at that point it, it becomes something that's more of a uh, spiritual mentorship um, consultation, but but it can't be legally it can't be professional counseling at that point. 
Let's yeah. get down to business because when we have an expert, we want to hear their expertise. So um, there are a lot of men, there are a lot of people, mm-hmm. a higher percentage of men who have some yes. form of sexual addiction. Could you give us like a ballpark on that and like a, a definition of what, what would it mean to be either sexually compulsive or sexually yep. compulsive to the extent of being sexually addicted? Um, well, the, the difference between an addiction and a compulsion, a compulsion is going to be, um, anything that is used to kind of quell an anxiety issue. Um, so you can have a compulsive need to, to straighten your socks, you know, if you feel like it's somehow tied to, you know, subconsciously tied to your anxiety. When it becomes an addiction is when it starts to make actual physical changes in your brain. Um, and there's this, uh, habituation, which means you, you kind of plateau, you know, and then it needs to either get stronger or more frequent in order for you to get that same, same effect. And so a sexual addiction is, is where someone has been utilizing sex, um, or pornography or, you know, whatever to, to achieve, typically to achieve orgasm. I don't know if you're comfortable with me saying that, but yeah, I'm comfortable with you saying anything at all, basically just Okay. Just don't drop a bunch of cuss or swear words, but yeah, that's about I'll, it. I'll try. I'll try not to. Yeah, um, yeah that's not going to be a People problem, are fairly yeah. warned now. Everybody knows what they're going to hear now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're so, going to talk about so, sex on this podcast. <laughs> so we use the correct correct terms. Um, yeah, and so once once someone has been engaging in sexual activity enough that they need something new, they need something novel, or they need it more frequently in order to achieve an orgasm, you know, that, that is when it becomes an addiction. Um, and so there are chemical things happening in the brain and the physical structure of the brain is actually changing. Um, that's how we were wired. That's how we were created in order for us to remember something. The brain physically is altered. Um, and sex is well, a, a, a good teacher because it utilizes a lot of the brain in order to, to teach its lesson. And right. so even and if that lesson might be wrong, would you argue, Matt, that that's also one of the reasons why sexuality has a, co- a great capacity for bonding and like intimacy and positively? Because if the, the sex is sexuality is going to access a lot of who we are consciously and that's going to be for good or ill. Right. So it could yeah. be for good. Oh, absolutely. And that's great. But it but if we don't use it that way, then it's going to be for ill. So yeah. it cuts both well, ways, I'm glad right? You, it does. It's definitely a two-edged sword, and I'm glad you even said the term bonding because that—I mean—that's one of the things sex was created for. Here, here we are created, you know, in the image of God, but as sexual beings, mm-hmm. you know, and and so God created us with this brain, with this mind, these pathways that sex is going to engage us and release chemicals like dopamine, oxytocin, norepinephrine, um, serotonin, all these things which create this memory and this connection with another person mm-hmm. um in our mind the, the the sad thing that we've done in in our culture and well you know pornography prostitution is called the oldest profession mm-hmm. you know but yeah. we um we take this thing that god created and we try and bond to you know sometimes hundreds or thousands of different things and so even if i am physically enacting you know my sexuality with my wife if my mind is somewhere else i am actually bonding with whatever is 
my mind is focused like on. your stress yeah. at work and yeah. your wife can help you bond with your stress at work well, for example <laughs> if that's what you're thinking about um sometimes if, well some, I, I don't sorry i don't know if many people are going to be thinking, thinking about, about at least many men are going to be thinking about stress at work they and, might be thinking about someone else yeah but yeah, just, but so thinking about someone else yeah. one of the one of the languages i use with people is that the act of sex creates a creates a transfiguration of the object the conscious object of that intimacy and so if it's your spouse that it essentially transfigures her into something like a goddess or whatever in your own consciousness in terms of bonding and value and so on at least momentarily and that it has a it has a lingering effect and long-term effect to a certain extent yeah yeah and of course it does that to it transfigures something consciously and of course there are all kinds of biological processes that are going around with our experience of that high then what okay so what would you want to tell what would you tell the 25 year old guy who goes to church who says he loves Jesus who is who's tried to quit looking at pornography 160 times and mm-hmm. just he just doesn't have any hope that that's remotely possible yeah. Um, well, I would say he's probably been trying to do it wrong. Okay. Um, and that's not a that's not a, a knock on him. It's just a knock on on how we as a church have typically handled sexuality issues. We've we've come about it with a, a theology of no, you know, and especially with pornography, it's like if and this is one of my favorite passages to use James one, where it talks about this progression um, from kind of our, our own evil desires leading us to temptation and temptation leading to sin and sin leading to death. Mm-hmm. It's like we put this line, this wall in between temptation and sin. And we're like, Hey, as long as you stop there and don't cross that line, you're okay. But when you're at that moment, that's akin to you, like hovering the cursor over the link and just telling yourself, don't click, don't click, don't click, don't click. And I, I can tell you that I've personally been there on numerous occasions. And what always happens Well, I end up clicking. And so rather than just the theology of no, you can't cross that line. You need to start figuring out through introspection, through, through a lot of soul searching, what is that pornography tied to? Because pornography use is not entirely sexual. Yes, sexuality plays a major component in it, and it's the massive reward, you know, because it's usually coupled with self-gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so the reward is sexual in nature but it's usually tied to other things god god created things a need for belonging a need for intimacy a need for you know affirmation and and nurture and all these things and and so there are times when my own pornography struggle has been heightened and i like to use a one to ten scale you know one is like no problem i know it's there i can kind of keep it on the back burner ten is like i need to look at pornography right now like and if it gets up there to like an eight, nine, ten level, that's when I need to start really looking and saying, okay, what is going on in my life to make this temptation something that's really strong? And there have been times, and I've, you know, I'm open and, and talk to Lori about this. My my relationship with my wife is such that she's been a big help. And I and I know a lot of guys don't necessarily have that with their wives, but they might have that with an accountability partner or with a small group. That when I'm struggling. I use accountability, not after to confess, but before, when I'm in the battle. When I recognize my need for help, that's when I need to call my accountability partner. And so there's been times when I've talked to Lori or I've talked to other guys and said, hey, I'm struggling. And while Lori's first response to me is, okay, what do you need? 
okay, while my initial knee-jerk reaction might be to look at pornography, if I look deeper, okay, what am I actually trying to use that quote-unquote relationship for? Am I trying to be affirmed? Am I trying to have someone tell me that I'm worth something? Am I trying to escape from stress in my own life, from stresses at work or stresses with my kids or stresses in my marriage? And, you know, whatever it is that I'm running from, that's honestly more important than what I'm running to. And so rather than just keep running from that thing, I need to face that thing. Mm -hmm. And instead of just saying no to pornography, I need to build in to my actual life the, the, that need being met. And so if that means I need to spend more time hanging out with my friends and having community, solid biblical community, mm-hmm. that is going to take that, that stress level and that temptation level from an eight down to a more manageable four. Do you and so th- all of a sudden I'm not just sitting there saying no. Do you think that when a, man, when a person is struggling with temptation to move towards a sexual outlet, that the thing that's, that's driving that – is related to sexuality or can it be anything that would drive you to want comfort or escape? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Can it just yeah, be like can can it be run of the mill depression or does it have to be loneliness depression? You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, it's run of the, it can be anything. Right. Um, and that's and what I think the, too. I pornography. Yeah. And in, in my experience in my counseling, I've seen a lot of people that pornography is kind of what I call their, their emotional Tylenol. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much any yeah. problem, any negative emotion, pornography is the answer. It numbs out, they escape, they get out of their mm-hmm. own head. And, and so mm-hmm. the, the thing that's funny is you can, you can be sitting here looking at, porn, well, looking at your temptation to pornography. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling stressed or if you're feeling lonely or if you're feeling, you know, whatever you're feeling, you're going to have to come at it at a different angle. If I'm feeling lonely, the answer is not to go be by myself in the woods you know, and take a walk in nature. However, if I'm stressed, that's a great way for me to kind of come, come back from that temptation a little bit. Yeah. And so identifying the real need, not instead of the false need, um, mm-hmm. because we're so quick to say, I see that, I want that, because there is an arousal with pornography and sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's quick to say, like, that must be the real thing. That must be the actual thing that I'm desiring, when in fact it's this kind of twisted false image. And what we really need might not have anything to do with sexuality at all. Yeah. Okay, so for somebody who is is struggling under this, one is you're probably fighting it the wrong way and you need to move back further and see yourself as a whole human being with all kinds of different mm-hmm. needs and begin to look yeah. at what it means to follow Jesus in the bigger human picture. And then that, if you do that, it'll help situate your your sexuality in a certain way and help you see what you're doing with the pornography. Because you may not even really see what you're yeah. doing with it yet. And that's necessary. Yeah. If you don't do that, you're yeah. not going to win. No, I mean, you might manage it for longer periods of time. You mm-hmm. might lengthen the cycle from, you know, every other day to every other week. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's there's no victory in right. there. And I, I'm hesitant to even use the word victory. But there's no long-term sustained victory if you're if you're still facing just the sin and not looking toward okay what what is god created for me to actual that i actually need and yeah. can have mm-hmm. met through him and through proper relationship with other christians well and other people in general it doesn't have to be christians but usually christians 
Um, yeah, if you're not if you're not identifying the real need, you're you're always going to be running from something, which means you're always going to be having a tendency to look at, at pornography or sexuality as your, you know, surrogate need meter. Because you know, let's face it, mm. sin sin has a function, and it's typically pretty good at it for a while. It it meets that it feels like it meets that need, you know. But then afterward, you know, in the James thing, you go sin to death. And this isn't necessarily talking about physical death, but there's there's a spiritual death, you know, where where you have the, the guilt and the shame that's associated with, well, falling over and over and over again, and and so while it might work for a few minutes, afterward you're you're left with with more woundedness and which drives you kind of reinvigorates that cycle. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the huge fears that men have about their conception of masculinity is often the the idea of being weak. And whenever you have a behavior that you can't beat, it's kind of like constantly experiencing that you're too weak. Like yeah. you're just too weak not to touch yourself or not to look at something. And that's mm-hmm. I think that could be horrifically terrible for a man because yeah. one they'll believe they're too weak to to overcome the sexual addiction but mm-hmm. they'll also begin to believe that they're just too weak period and that it has this infantilizing yep. effect on their masculinity i've mm-hmm. noticed among mm-hmm. a lot of younger men that are stuck in sexual addiction their masculinity their their sense of strength is kind of stunted and helping them find oh, yeah. their masculinity is really difficult you know what i mean do do you yeah. observe that kind yeah. of a thing too well, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some of that. I, I don't know that I've ever really thought about masculinity in general in that, in that way. Um, but there is this sense that like the overwhelming shame of not being able to, to overcome. Um, and so it's like, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with the book, Finally Free by Heath, Heath Lambert, I believe, um, you know, it's a book on, on pornography and, and overcoming it. And he says, he has this like, one paragraph that's that's really profound and he and he talks about kind of that aftermath when you're looking at yourself with this this shame that you've fallen again and it's like it's this long run-on kind of Pauline sentence where it's like I think that I deserve that I because of what I have done and all this kind of stuff and at the end of it he's like there's too much I in that it's all it's too focused on you when we need to realize that our standing as as a man, our standing as a person is not based on what I have done. It's not based on my failures. Mm-hmm. It's based on Christ's victory and it's based on the work that he has already accomplished. And so even if I fall, that if you don't have that piling on of shame, it's a lot easier to stand up again and realize, okay, I've, I fell or I messed up or I'm, I'm struggling and hey, I'm, I'm a needy human. Right. But my worth and my my value is not based on my own ability to do this perfectly, because it's already been done perfectly by our Savior. That's good, Vince. If you, I I can always keep asking every guest questions yeah. forever. So do you want to jump in, guys? Yeah. Yeah, man. I love what you're saying because it sounds like a lot of what you're saying are the kind of things that non clinical counselors can be trained to do yeah to help people through to help people see themselves and their struggles through that lens yeah um how so i'm sure you've seen that a lot of people that struggle with sexual addiction have also experienced some childhood trauma 
either sexual oh, yeah. or otherwise. Yep. Um, how important have you found it to be to revisit that, find healing from those things? And as important as you found that, are there things that you could offer to a small group leader or a pastor or a non-clinical counselor to say, mm -hmm. here are some tools or handles to help someone walk through some of those childhood things in positive ways? Or maybe not. Maybe you'd say, you know, yeah. when you get into that stuff, you really got to hand it over to somebody with clinical training. Um, well, I mean, there there are there are some some limits. I mean, if there's some severe severe trauma, um, if you don't have training for that, please don't 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 mess with it, um, because you can rewound someone. Um, if someone's undergone severe sexual abuse or, or has like post traumatic stress um, symptoms, then then if you're not trained, um, don't don't try and be a Superman. With that being yeah. said, Good. even I, as a trained counselor, I, I don't have the ability to change anyone's heart. I can't change my own heart without the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that if you're coming alongside someone who is dealing with this, you know, sexual abuse and, and stuff in their past, yeah, it's, it's incredible, incredibly important to reprocess that. Now they mm -hmm. can do that mm -hmm. with a trained counselor, mm -hmm. but it's really important for them to have safe people um, kind of these anchor people in their life, you know, that as they're going on this journey that they can come and, and work through the issue with as well outside of an isolated, you know, four walls in a counseling room. Yeah, that's good. You know, that's and so I, I think a lot of people, when you talk about sexuality, um, whether it's pornography issues, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's, you know, there's this stigma that it's too much or that we don't, we don't know how to handle it. And so, you know, one of the things that I like to, you know, teach people is that the, the issue, the surface level issue, whether it's pornography, sexual addiction, is exactly. rooted in a, in a space where we are intimately familiar with it, you know, and... Mm. I, wait, I wait, wait, time out, time out. What does that mean? What does it mean that it's rooted in a space where we're intimately familiar with it? Because we have that, ex that same experience. So... Um, we, we call them our, our core longings at Hold in My Heart Ministries. So, um, and I like to use this analogy that if I see a dog walking, if I'm walking down a sidewalk and see a dog, you know, my behavior in that situation is going to be dictated by my emotional response. But my emotion, whether happy, sad, scared, you know, is going to be dictated by my belief system. So for someone like myself who grew up in my experience having big dogs, Growing up, my initial thought when I see a dog is, yay, I'm going to get down on my you know, knees and get ready for like a face licking. Mm -hmm. Now, someone who's been attacked by a dog, their initial reaction because their belief system is dogs are scary, dogs are dangerous, is going to be, I'm going to go to the other side of the street. You know, I'm getting away. Now, we don't know who's right. I could get down for a face licking and get a face biting. You know, but ultimately, my own experience and this other person's own experience is what might be dictating their response. So even though I don't personally experience a, a fear of dogs, I can understand kind of where it came from because it's a need for safety. It's a need mm. for um, to, to know that they are not going to be harmed physically. And so with someone sexually, if, if they can start to talk about it, if the person who's experiencing this um, you know, addiction can start to go through this introspective process and start to talk about it while, like, yeah, I am feeling isolated. 
I am feeling kind of other. I'm feeling a lack of belonging in a community. And that's kind of what helps drive me to pornography. You know, if you stop talking about, well, I'm addicted to porn. If you say, yeah, that's where my outlet is, but it's rooted in this need to belong. You know, we all have that need. We all have an experience with wanting to belong somewhere and maybe being kind of on the outside looking in. So it creates this kind of bridge of understanding that even if you don't personally experience that, and this is honestly, I think the biggest thing for, for husbands and wives to work on, because I'm going to speak stereotypically. um, If a husband is struggling with pornography and this was my experience in my, my marriage before I came out to Lori, I was terrified of her finding out. Because I was like, there is no way she's going to understand. There's, she's going to be mm. livid, and she was livid, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But pretty quickly after that, there was this kind of bridge of understanding built because she kept asking the deeper questions. It wasn't just like, what did you look mm. at? You know, it was, mm. it was this, okay, let's go, go beneath the surface. What, what emotion is driving you there? What's your belief system? Is, and ultimately for me, it was this feeling of worthlessness. My... my mm cultivated at a young age, my belief system about myself is I am worthless. But I didn't feel worthless if this person on the screen is saying that I'm lovable. You know, even Mm -hmm. though the person on the screen doesn't actually know I exist. You know, it's this you know, that's how the need was met. And and so if you can start to talk at a more core level and as opposed to this behavioral level. Um, there's a lot more understanding built in, which means there's a lot more safety to be open when you struggle as opposed to, because the struggle is not with pornography, the struggle is with belonging or a lack of belonging. The struggle mm-hmm. is not with sexual addiction, it's with worthlessness, you know, or whatever it's tied to. Yeah, that's good. The root issue is more that's really good. the outpouring. Could, that's really helpful. Could you, um, could you talk a little bit about some things not to do? Like Nick said, um, I've been able to come alongside some younger guys in our church dealt with this a lot. And oftentimes I'm like the sixth or seventh person they've talked to. They've talked to <laughs> a few counselors, some pastors, yeah. different, you know, people, accountability partners. And oftentimes I hear things and I'm like, Ooh, that probably made it worse or that probably made it yeah. worse. Could you address some of those common things people do when they're trying to help somebody that oftentimes make it harder? Well, I mean, I think there's a, in the church especially, there's this culture of shame um, that it's like this, you need to stop that. And if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. And, you know, you alluded to that a little earlier, that if you can't do it, you're somehow not strong enough. Um, And the fact is, when you're young especially, you don't have the tools to to really overcome it. And our culture is so saturated um, you know, with, with pornography. And, and if, if you've gone to the, the set free summit, um, they held one in Greensboro. Um, is that North Carolina, North Carolina, um, back in 2016 through Josh McDowell ministries. And, and they're, they're calling, you know, all the, the phone, the Snapchat, all the self user generated images calling that porn 2.0. And that happens at a very, very young age. You know, people are sending, mm-hmm. sending, you know, selfies to their friends or to their boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Like, 
we are in a culture where pornography is is not just available it's like unavoidable in some mm-hmm. cases so so the old pattern of like you know just well don't walk into that store and get the magazine like that doesn't work anymore it's it's in my pocket like it's it's like a, an alcoholic living their life in a bar yeah there's, i can there's no way that you can take the availability away yeah i can google um uh decorative gourds on a google image search <laughs> and like you're gonna have a topless woman like it's unbelievable like what because i do like image searches to get images for my sermons and i'll be like oh, okay yeah. i need a really big rock and i'll you know i'll put in like very large yeah. rock and i'll get you know like 600 <laughs> things and like eight of them that and they're really small on my screen you know and so they're not quite yeah. as but i can feel my body i can feel like you know how like there's like an altered state of consciousness that like yeah happens to you just you see that tiny little thing and like you know i'm in a place in my life now where i never actually have had a addiction to pornography and so like i can get past those you know partly because i have mm-hmm. accountability software on my computer and my wife will find out if i click on one but like yeah but just like you know you're not looking for it it is like sports websites yeah. all their sublinks oh. are all porn right like it is like it's after your butt man like it is trying to yeah. find you and your body kind of wants yeah. it you know well I, I mean it's it's one of those things where you know people have said pornography is kind of like heroin for the eyes mm-hmm. um there's a, a guy i think his name's william struthers he's a, a doctor he spoke at this uh set free summit and he said we've got that backwards heroin is like injected orgasm because we are we are created for sex. We are not created for drugs, but they use the same neural pathways in your brain to create the high. And so oh, that's yeah, really our, interesting our bodies will naturally react when we see pornography, whether we're looking for it or not. There is a just this innate reaction. Um, and so yeah, when you're when you're looking at sports websites, if you're looking at you know whatever you're doing, even if you're not looking for it, there is this chance that you will be triggered, you know, and it could be a low level yeah. trigger. And I know for me, um, you know, my pornography use was a lot. I mean, it wasn't just pornography. There was escapism like rampant in my life, you know, when I mm. was really engaging in porn. And so it wasn't just porn. It was, I was on a tablet, you know, playing stupid tablet games 24 mm-hmm. seven. I had a computer on, I had the TV on. I would mm-hmm. spend 24 hours a week watching sports you know a couple Mm. college games on saturdays pro games on sundays a hockey game during the week a soccer game like i mean there it was like a part-time job and yeah you know especially with football what's on the sidelines cheerleaders yeah and so what if if it's fair tell me tell me if this is too far but if 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 i sit down with somebody dealing with a sexual addiction and they're coming to me for help Yes, I start out with the assumption that is sometimes I go back on, but I start out with the assumption that they don't need conviction that they're sinning and need to change. Does that make sense? Like I don't yeah. generally feel the need to come to them and say, "Listen, let me explain to you the severity of what you're doing, how it's going to ruin your life, how it's yeah. going to ruin your marriage," and and start with that. Though yeah. you might start with that in a sermon. By the time they get to be sitting down with me, I generally don't oh, begin yeah. on that page. And that's a lot of what I heard guys say 
when they sit down with someone one-on-one, that's what they'll get for a while. And by the time it's over, yeah. they're more depressed and, you know, <laughs> and they're, yeah. they never go back. And well, yeah, and that that's sense what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's, it's backwards because if someone's coming to you for help, um, I mean, if it's not this, like, you know, my wife is forcing me to come to counseling. Right, right. If they're, if they're honestly seeking help, conviction has already happened mm-hmm. and you need to, and by kind of pointing the finger back at them, what you're doing is you're, you're kind of tearing down their own, you're, you're shaming them. You're tearing right. them down, right. which is going to make whatever they were running to more appealing. And right. so, exactly. so to receive them with grace and to receive them with, I, I remember the first time that I, I shared like in front of a class and this was kind of like three days after I had come clean with Lori, with my wife. And I got up in front of our Sunday school class that we were actually teaching at the time. And I was like, I got no legs to stand on, but God's telling me to stand up and confess. And I confess. And it was like this room full of like, you know, 12 guys that I don't know that well. I'll get up and are like, hey, that was me six months ago. And right now I'm mm. six months clean and like all this kind of stuff. And it was like they wrapped me in this big bear hug and said, hey, we'll mm. beat this together. Mm. And that was, yeah. I mean, that was incredible for me because I didn't need someone saying, how could you? Like, I already felt that, you know, I had already mm-hmm. wrestled with God mm-hmm. three nights before saying, don't, don't make me tell her, don't make me tell Lori. And he was like, you need to tell Lori. And I'm like, yeah. Ah. Okay. So <laughs> one that is, is maybe a little more gray. And I'd really like to hear where you land on this. Cause me and my wife run into this all the time where dating couples will come to us, the guy's dealing with a pornography addiction, he's told the girl he's dating, they're both serious Christians, and they say, should we wait for him to beat this until we get engaged or married? And they'll be at very, sometimes the guy will be more inclined that they should wait, sometimes Mm -hmm. the girl will be more inclined, sometimes they're on the same page, but they come to us and ask that question, and it's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, that that is a really gray area, because... In some cases, that might be good. I think, what is what is the motive behind it? Is it like, I am undeserving of getting married until I beat this? Or is it like, a, you know what, holding off the engagement or the marriage is actually going to help me fight this better? Because, I mean, ultimately, if you're, if you're kind of taking away this thing that maybe God wants you to have, maybe your wife would be a, a massive support for you when you're, instead, you're living you know, on your own by yourself as a, as a young, young man, you know, and that isolation breeds opportunity to run back and back and back into it where, you know, so sometimes the answer I would say is no, but it's, it's mm. honestly, it's gotta be this God prompting thing. There's, okay. there's no okay. set answer to it, but I, I would be, that would open the door to a much longer conversation to how they are kind of coming to that conclusion because sometimes God might be saying to do that. Matt, were you married? But it's not this. It's good. You were married and then you told her, right? For you oh, yeah. and Lori? Yep. And then Vince, yeah. how about you? Like what, how, where was it for you and Joanna? Like, had you been pretty free of that been, for a while? When you yeah, got I think I had been clean for like three years when we started dating. Oh, that's kind of a long so, time. That, that would maybe be my, yeah, I mean, I wish it was longer, but by the grace of God, yeah. Um. No, I just think what I hear Matt saying and you saying is um, using getting engaged and getting married as kind of like a pre-decision willpower building mm-hmm. marker of like saying I'm, I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a focal point to fight for something. Um, yeah, is maybe helpful 
but it wouldn't necessarily mark whether or not you're worthy of marriage or whether or not, because you can deal with these things mm-hmm. after you're married. You, it's good to deal with them as early as possible, but yeah. the less you yeah. take in your marriage, you know, the better in certain ways, mm-hmm. but, and it is very painful for the other person because it's very hard for them yeah. to really understand. And it's very hard for them really to help sometimes in certain ways. I do think one of the things worth exploring is the idea of when you tell your spouse or significant other and how them helping mm-hmm. you before rather than confessing after is fundamental. Yeah. Yeah. That was the question I was going to ask. When is when would you advise a girl to ask the guy she's dating if it's a struggle? And when would you advise the, a guy to tell? You know, is this... On the first date? Is this before you go on the first date? Is it a month in? Um, well, I, I don't know if there's a, a kind of a set answer. I think if you're talking marriage, if you're looking at this, you know, a serious relationship, if you if you're even dating like exclusively for a long time, like you know, there there needs to be this like knowledge of hey, this is this is the true me, because if you're hiding that. Ultimately, it's going to create this distance. And I and I remember because Lori would ask me that all the time. And at first, you know, when I was fresh out of college or, you know, I had this group of guys that had come around me in college and we made it a point to kind of eradicate this from our lives. And so college was a good season for me and my and my sin management, you know, but the second you're out of college, what happens? Everyone moves across the country and in different states and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden I was alone. And Mm. so. I like by my own sheer will and grit, like was able to hold on to that kind of chastity for, for a while, you know, but when we hit this season in our marriage where we were working these opposite schedules and I was, I felt truly alone and I, you know, had this time when I I gave in and then it was like, crap, (laughs) you know, now I'm married and I was looking to that as like kind of the cure all, which it wasn't. Um, you know, and all of a sudden I'm alone in this fight and I'm shaming myself because I'm like, I shouldn't be dealing with this anymore, you know? And then mm. for the next like five years of our marriage, I was struggling secretly. And Lori would ask me like, Hey, how are you doing? Cause she knew it was like a past struggle for me, but and I would always mm-hmm. be like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. When in reality I was, I was not, you know, and until, mm-hmm. and until I came clean, there was always a part of me that was hiding and that took a lot of energy to to maintain. And yeah, I think it was some of the grace of God that, that I didn't get caught, you mm-hmm. know, because the difference in me coming and confessing versus Lori finding me, like the, the consequence is typically different, right. you know, right, right, right. but ultimately God was working on my heart in order to be able to, to tell her and what it ultimately came down to for me was if I'm unwilling to tell her because of a fear of how she will view me, she has become an idol in my life mm-hmm. because her mm-hmm. opinion of me matters more than what God says about me. And so if mm-hmm. someone is, you know, there, there, there are legitimately good reasons for someone not to tell if the, if you're the person you're dating is not a safe person, you know, if you're going to tell them and they are going to berate you and demean you and do all these things, if the person you're married to is going to do that, then I would be hesitant to make that the first instance of you telling someone. However, if you're only protecting yourself or the view that this other person might have of you, 
then your your ordering of importance is wrong. You're you're letting them determine who you are more than what God is going to determine who you are. And so, mm-hmm. and does that make sense, or is that a little bit yeah, convoluted? No, yeah. no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think one of the things I tell people is that if you have some kind of besetting characteristic, that you the other person deserves to hear it before they're in love with you. You know, to where they like oh, they're yeah. not mm-hmm. thinking yeah. straight about about you anymore, you know? So like for one, there was a young yeah. woman who said, look, I went to college out of state. I have a hundred thousand dollars in debt. When, when do I have to tell him? <laughs> and I said, sweetie, before he's in love with you, you can wait a few dates, but you should tell him before he's yeah. in love with you. And I would say that of any, any major sort of like thing mm-hmm. that, you know, it, you, that person yeah. deserves to hear. And if you're going to tell them they're going to berate you, then it, that just might be a great way to realize you're in a doomed relationship, you know, right then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. If you're going to enter this, well, marriage is a covenant relationship. If you're even talking about that, you need to know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's porn or, as you mm-hmm. said, whether it's a hundred thousand dollars of debt, that's right. right. That's a big deal. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. Right. But but, but it's up to them. The, yeah, they yeah. should have the ability to decide. Yeah, I mean, if that if you get into a marriage and all of a sudden that gets sprung on them, wow, there's can there can be some bitterness. And there can be some yeah. stuff which God can work through that too. That's that's a refining point in the marriage, you know, if you make it through that. But it's it's better to, you know, to go in with your eyes wide open as opposed to having these surprises along the way. Yeah. Okay. You know, when it's like. Yeah. So Matt, I want to ask just a couple questions here about accountability. Um, in yes. my college mm-hmm. years, I engaged in like accountability relationships, usually with peers who were similarly yeah. beset in whatever it was. And I found it yeah. extraordinarily unhelpful. Um, it just seemed like a commiseration. So I've come to the point now where I, I tell people, okay, the person you're, you're, who's holding you accountable should not really be your peer. They should be like your mm-hmm. superior, either in age or maybe power or something yeah. like it should, it should feel kind of costly to, to confess and to like be honest with them even though they, yeah. you don't want it to be a fundamentally punitive relationship. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I mean, like, what would you say about accountability yeah, relationships? I, well, I think accountability is, I mean, you should have someone who is, you know, whether it's a group where you have peers, but there's, you know, one or two people who are like kind of the mentors, the, the elder statesmen, you know, mm-hmm. of the group who have gone before you. You need someone who has gone before, you know, even if they're younger than you, but they are, you know, going before in this, whatever struggle you're dealing with, you know, that's going to be helpful rather than having people exactly like you. So, so um, you think that I mean, uh, an accountability partner for like sexual addiction probably ought to be somebody who's had a sexual addiction, not just a veteran of sin, but a, a veteran of a similar sin. Well, it's a two edged sword. It can be very helpful because it builds this bridge of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be. As long as the person has the ability to, to empathize and to to understand what you're going through, would you they say can that be some, like I? Would you say that would be the case in um, same sex addict, sex addiction relationships? If I if I have a, you know, a Christian man who's same sex attracted, who's overcome certain sexual addictions, and I have a younger same sex attracted man, would you would you say in that situation, or, or does something change when you get that dynamic? I think, you know, that, and this is the two-edged sword. One, if if the two people may become emotionally codependent, 
that that can be a negative thing. I mean, that is a negative thing. However, having someone, especially in the issue of, you know, of LGBT issues or same-sex attraction, there, there tends to be, because of how the church has treated it in the past, mm-hmm. a, an extreme fear of, of someone to be open right. um, and, and really honest with that type of struggle. And so having someone who has personally struggled with that, mm-hmm. and, and I know this from my counseling practice because I counsel a number of people who um, would either call themselves same-sex attraction, attracted or who are in the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's helpful for, for me to share the story of me and my wife because Lori is same-sex attracted. And then that makes them able to trust me enough to really open up. Mm-hmm. Because if that trust mm-hmm. isn't there, they're not going to open up. And then, you know, the counseling, the mentorship, the accountability is not going to be fruitful because there will be more of a desire to hide than a desire to to really be open. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Accountability is about the health of the person, not just the action of the person. And so, when mm-hmm. when I'm focused on accountability, if someone says like, "Hey, I I messed up. I, I looked at porn this week," you know, rather than doing the whole slap on the wrist, okay, well, you know, don't do it again, type of thing. It has to be this this going deeper. Okay, that's not good. What's the predetermined kind of consequence? Or, or, you know, do you have to hand your phone over for a couple days? Do you have to, you know, take a a break from Instagram or whatever, you know, whatever they decided in in the past. But then there also has to be like in this time of kind of fasting from from your availability portion of your struggle. I want you to go into what were you trying to get met? What were you trying to, to accomplish through looking? Because ultimately, mm. if, if, I'm a, if I'm a doctor and someone comes in, I'm going to encourage them to exercise. I'm going to encourage them to eat right. I'm going to encourage them all these things, whether or not they look overweight or whether or not they look, you know, dangerously thin because that is healthy. You know, so that's healthy for all of us to do. And so yeah. accountability should always be building towards something not just saying mm-hmm. no to so something I, else. So yeah, I, I hear you saying basically three things. I hear you saying, one, where there's where there's a lack of health, oftentimes there's a lack of general health. So I'm not just going to deal with a particular mm-hmm. deficiency. I'm going to try to push towards yeah. robustness. Secondly, I'm not. I'm going to focus on the real heart issues, the the deepest longings, the holes in the heart, mm-hmm. and I, that's mm-hmm. going to be a major focus of what I'm doing. But three, that doesn't mean I'm not going to use accountability software or basic accountability or telling people how they need to immediately avert their eyes and not allow themselves to fall. Like I'm going to use all that stuff too. Absolutely. Those are all good techniques. But I'm going to focus on the heart issue of what heart issue is making you particularly vulnerable or Mm -hmm. what heart issue is driving Mm -hmm. you toward the use of the sexual addiction or whatever addiction. And I'm, I'm going to do all yeah. three of those robust health, increased discipleship and just overall emotional health Two, yeah. I'm going to focus on the heart issue. That's going to be primary, but three, I'm yeah. not going to unavail myself of any functional helps, whatever oh, yeah. they might be, yeah. especially Absolutely. in the digital age in which we exist. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, and I know yeah. I'm, I'm a very big component. I'm probably come down a little harder <laughs> than, than most. Um, but if someone is like really in the grip of pornography addiction, my first encouragement for them is be get a dumb phone, get something mm-hmm. without access mm-hmm. to the internet, 
get rid mm -hmm. of a laptop, get rid of the tablet, get rid of anything that's like this thing you can kind of carry and conceal with you, right. you know, and mm -hmm. kind of give yourself a, a an electronic detox, you know, yeah, yeah. look at the real world around you and not this virtual world that's always in front of you. Um, and yeah. out of that, you know, eventually you can re-enter that virtual world, but with your brain honestly changed to the point where you can be there, be in the virtual world, but not of the virtual world, if, you know, to borrow scripture. Yeah, when I was in Florida, yeah. I, I was younger at that point, and I, more younger men were coming to me about this. And one of the things that I would say is, I will not mentor you or disi discipline, dis disciple you in this area unless you can look me in the face and tell me that you're ready if this, if it gets to this, to take all of your electronic devices, including your computer, and throw them in the bay. If you aren't mm -hmm. willing to do that, then you haven't got – you're not angry enough yet. You haven't got to the point of spiritual br brutality yeah. where you're willing to do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't, I can't help you. There's nothing can be done. Yeah. Is yeah. that mean – Well, it's kind of – the... kind of... Well, no. I think, <laughs> Is that too I, think mean? That's, <laughs> I think that's a good – well, I mean, that's a good indicator of success. If someone is ready to do that, they're ready to work. And you know what? This takes work. Yeah. Um, you know, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of like the 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 old you know Christian movie, the fireproof one. Mm -hmm. You know, about the marriage and that scene where he like takes his computer and he like throws it in the trash because that's he eventually got to the point where he hated his sin. Um, and this is one thing I don't know if you're familiar with the Barna study that came out, the pornography phenomenon. Um, tons of statistics. It's a wonderful resource. But one of the things they, they said in that at the kind of the very end is as long as the church continues to kind of, well, push people to come clean or push people to get out of it and the people are motivated by these extrinsic external things, whether it's going to be status, whether it's going to be an easier home life because their wife won't be nagging them as much or whatever, like as long as they're externally motivated they are very unlikely to really succeed long-term. And so for you to say, are you willing to get rid of everything? It shows an internal motivation because there's an intense cost to going through the discipleship. You know, if you're willing to get rid of all of your devices, which, you know, let's face it, cost hundreds of dollars, mm -hmm. you're willing to pay a price. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to pay that price, that means it's not just this I want to do this so it makes my life easier type of thing. It's like, and I'm really ready to get it yeah. out. I hate it. Yeah. So, okay, I have yeah. one more question, and then I'm going to let Vince a... wrap up the interview because I have to – I locked my keys in my car. I have to go meet some guy down at a parking <laughs> garage. But um, is there any point when you're talking to Matt, to people, Matt, where um, you actually amp up the sense of guilt, kind of like taking sin to idolatry? Because though they feel bad and they feel convicted on one level – they haven't gotten to the point yet where they see they see themselves as like a pervert and like that they're attacking the creational purpose in the image of God and the object of their mm -hmm. pornography and they're they're desecrating the, the the fundamental gift of their own sexuality and like they're competing with God for His own glory and we're like you have to to help them not to make them feel worse but to say actually yeah. I'm going to try to help you by making you a lot madder about this by actually lifting mm -hmm. up the sense of that when you, so, do you ever find when you're trying to drive deeper into the core issue where you have to get them from sin to idolatry and you actually, without necessarily trying to make them feel guiltier, you're trying mm -hmm. to make them feel madder or something. 
Do you ever yeah. do you ever have to use that tactic well, because people they feel bad but they don't feel badly in a in the right way yet? Yeah. Um, well, I honestly I'm one that thinks guilt is is a good thing. Guilt is a specific, you know, it, it's about our sin. Um, it's different than shame. Shame is about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so anything that ramps up guilt, I think, is a good thing. Um, because guilt can be removed. Um, Psalm 32 is one of my one of my favorite, and it says that you know once he confessed to the Lord, he the Lord removed the guilt of his sin. Um, and so, in this point where we're moving kind of deeper toward the heart issue, there's there's this point where we have to identify our belief system, and oftentimes in that is when I will go and I will kind of confront them on their idolatry of sex. Um, and we'll kind of lay out, okay, what does the world believe about sex? Now, what is, what does the church believe about sex? And then this third column, what does the Bible actually teach about sex? What does God say about sex? Because church world is sometimes like halfway in between what the Bible says and what the world says. We've bought and drank Mm. a lot of the world's Kool-Aid regarding sexuality, that it's the glue that holds marriage together, that it's the ultimate form of intimacy. And ultimately it's not. Um, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis um, from Mere Christianity. This is the wrong quote. Anyway, I forget where it came mm-hmm. from. But C.S. Lewis was talking about sexuality as this um, thing that we look to in this life is the greatest pleasure we can have. And he, he compares it to trying to, talk to a four, trying to talk to a four-year-old about sex, you know, when the four-year-old loves chocolate. And they're like, oh, well, if sex is this great thing, there must be chocolate involved. Yeah. Do you eat well, chocolate while you do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's like, well, no, not necessarily. There, there's, that's not the point. And, you know, it's, it's better than chocolate. You know, and in this life, we are that four-year-old. And looking at heaven, when, when Christ says there will be one marriage in heaven between Christ and the church— it, and it doesn't point to this idea that sex and procreation is something that will continue. And if that is not going to happen, and if heaven is this greater thing, this greater, more fulfilling thing than sex, then the thing that continues, this spiritual connection that we have with one another as the branch and Christ as the vine, that has to be the ultimate connection piece. Mm-hmm. Because the view that we have of heaven is like, Heaven is sex, and we only know about chocolate. And right now, sex is our mm. chocolate. If that may, that, it gets a little convoluted. Yeah, no, if that um, makes sense. for people listening, Peter Kreft, K R E E F T, right? The philosopher at Boston College, he has a great talk on this about is, will there be sex in heaven? And his argument is yes, and it won't matter. Like, you'll be a man or like gender and like sex as a thing, mm-hmm. but it will be so overshadowed by the reality of heaven and its existence that it'll be. It, sex will be like this irrelevant thing sort of in, in the sense that in the sense of like you don't think about I wonder if I could have some chocolate later when you're making love similarly like when you're in heaven like it just it would be the last thing that would ever cross your mind because of the superiority of the yeah. experience and intimacy that we experience yeah it won't be this idolized thing right and that makes that makes a lot of sense it. to me as like how sex might relate to heaven yeah yeah we had a great interview with your wife Matt and um, had a really great time talking with you too. So we'll we'll probably have to do this again sometime down the road. And Grand Rapids isn't as far from Madison as other places in the world. Maybe you'll you'll be in the yeah. city at some point. 
either with us or on yeah. your own terms. So thanks so much for taking the time. Um, to to your your name is spelled K R I E G. So Matt and Lori um, Krieg, Krieg is how it's pronounced. Yeah. yeah. And um, Hole in My yeah. Heart Ministry to get in touch with them if you want to talk with them um, for some reason. And um, hey man, thanks so much for doing this with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.